Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We talk today to Chris Reed, who's the CEO of Neo Metals. They're an Australian listed project developer. They've recently announced a recycling agreement with Critical Metals to recover high-grade vanadium in Sweden. Uh, also got SSAB, one of the Scandinavian's largest companies involved in that. We talk through the, ben the benefits and hopes of that project. They've got relatively high-grade vanadium, which they're going to be able to recover um, at one of the lowest costs uh, out there, obviously without the mining risk. And it also seems to be ticking a lot of ESG boxes. Um, they're trying to plug into the European battery met metals um, and battery production uh, ecosystem. And we find out a little bit more from Chris as to the details of how they're going to do that, what it's going to cost and what potential upside could be for them. Enjoy the podcast. Good afternoon, guys. How are you? Very well, thanks, Matt. Greetings from Down Under. I'm joined uh, today by our Chief Development Officer, Darren Townsend, and uh, Chief Metallurgist, Dave Robinson. Hi, guys. Pleasure to meet you. First time first time I've spoken to you, chaps. Um, yeah, nice. Well, I think you're all holed up like we are at home doing your social distancing, being responsible citizens. Is that right? Look, that's, that's correct. I'm the uh, only one in uh, head office today. So the uh, CFO and I alternate uh, days in head office, work from home remotely. The rest, uh, Darren and uh, Chief Operating Officer and the Financial Controller sort of run a shadow management team in case uh, we get COVID-19. Well, I, I, I speaking to Darren, um, just before you joined, he said that productivity is higher now he's at home. That can't be that can't be bad, right? Well, I I've, I've, I must I must admit, you know, you you do have less background noise and less interruptions, and you know, look, he'd be coming off a low base. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no he started it. Okay. Well, look, um, Chris, we wanted to talk to you um, about the announcement that you guys have put out with regards to the high-grade vanadium uh, recycling deal, because I think you know you are very much moving into this battery recycling space, this battery mineral space now, having you know been a miner previously. Um, but why don't we kick off and remind people where you've come from, um, what, the, what the background is, uh, and why you find yourself in position today by giving them a, a one-minute overview, please. Yeah. So Neo Metals is a project developer. Uh, you know, we, we use a innovation essentially to develop industrial minerals and advanced material projects for a sustainable future. Um, and so we targeted the EV and energy storage thematic, you know, almost 10 years ago, and we went out and procured a lithium project and we developed that into what is now currently the world's second largest hard rock source of lithium. Uh, we exited that project, we retained offtake uh, from the lithium mine. And so we've got a number of projects that, you know, are not really upstream. There's a slight pivot away from the upstream traditional hard rock mining into further downstream uh, processing. So we're looking at, you know, a lithium hydroxide refinery. Obviously, the lithium battery recycling project is our is our main project. That's taking the lithium batteries at the end of their life. 
we've got the Brambi Titanium Vanadium project, which is which is an upstream asset. They've been working on a downstream processing technology, and uh, this latest agreement with Critical Metals uh, to look at recovering vanadium. Uh, essentially recycling a, a, a slag product from steel making is consistent with that pivot away from upstream and also in terms of, of recycling and, uh, you know, I guess becoming more sustainable. Okay. Now, again, I just want to, before we kind of get in, into the, the detail of it, I, I want to, um, again, if you get your help to remind people, because we, we look we look at your business model and we think it's really attractive. It's it's kind of unusual. There's very few people um, approaching this the way that you do because we get a lot of people coming on the show telling us about what they're going to put into a battery, um, and you guys are saying, well, actually, there's you know you still got to deal with stuff you know after batteries are made. They, they there's a you know you've got your battery recycling project as well, which we've talked about on previous occasions but can you give us a yeah. insight into your business model because you've you've got a lot of cash from the uh, marion deal but you're not you're spending it frugally by doing this project generator model so give, give us an idea of what that looks like yeah certainly so uh, first of all we identify a thematic that we want exposure to you know which is the energy uh storage thematic and electric vehicles that then drops down the commodities within that thematic that will be most impacted in a positive way. Uh, and so what then we do, we either acquire uh, an opportunity in M&A or we develop one internally. So the lithium battery recycling technology was to develop a process to take these batteries at the end of life. We realized that we could see the lithium battery plants being built. We could see the volumes of lithium batteries that would ultimately hit the market. We knew statistically about 10% uh, a production or a scrap in the production process and that they have an effective life of seven, eight, 10 years. So there was gonna be the opportunity for these significant volumes of essentially, which is a, you know, a, uh, an amalgam of lots of battery minerals or battery commodities all together and that Currently, they're either being melted at poor recoveries or put into landfill, and that's not sustainable. So we develop that internally. So what we try to do is identify the opportunity, secure it, build the value in terms of you know the metallurgical test work uh, to prove our advantages, our low cost nature, our high recoveries, uh, and we take we take the risk there. Then we do the engineering studies, and then what we like to do is to bring in big partners to commercialize these at the optimum scale, which is quite often beyond companies our size. Now we have a fantastic balance sheet, but we're not gonna roll the dice and put all of it into one project. And so what we did with the lithium project, we, had, we, we acquired the lithium project. We took the risk with the drill bit and made it bigger. Then we did the test work. We were able to capture a multi-billion dollar company to build the world's largest hard rock lithium concentrator with no upfront capital. We then, took that as a package to the world's fastest growing lithium converter, Ganfeng, offered them to be a partner. We were able to ultimately build a plant four times bigger than we'd evaluated ourselves. We sold out on the way we made $200 million out of a $3 million investment. And last Friday, we returned another $11 million, taking our total returns to shareholders to over $55 million over the last five years. So identify it, build it, 
monetize it and return the value back to shareholders. Yeah, I mean, I mean thanks for that. It, again, it's something that we, when we first came across you guys, we weren't quite sure, you know, what, what you were, but, you know, after investigation, you look at dividend paying, that's a lot of dividend. I can, I can synthesize it for you. It's Good. the highest return on invested capital in the shortest period of time. Quite nice. I've got nowhere to go with that. Uh, That's right. It's just arithmetic. <laughs> just arithmetic. Um, but the other bit of the other component of that is that you spent three million bucks to be able to generate that kind of return, and that seems to be. And I, you know, I don't mean to sort of, um, you know, oversimplify this, but that kind of cookie cutter approach to what you're doing. I mean, it's what we've heard with the recycling story, and I think it's what we're about to hear uh, now with the agreement with Critical. Uh, metals. So, why don't we get stuck into the critical metals story uh, ag agreement? So, the announcement came out last week. Um, what, okay, in your words, tell us what what it is that you've put together. So, essentially, what we've uh, procured with our partner, Critical Metals, is a call option to acquire uh, what is the world's largest uh, stockpile of high-grade vanadium slags. In that 27-month period, we're able uh, to conduct our extensive due diligence, and that'll be in the form of a Class 5, a Class 4, a Class 3 engineering study, which will result in a feasibility study to be completed by 31 December 2022, at which point we'll consider a final investment decision. If we decide to go ahead, near metals and critical metals will own 50-50 uh, equally in an incorporated joint venture vehicle, which will have the certainty of a supply agreement from SSAB, uh, which is the largest steelmaker in Scandinavia. And how much will you have spent at that point to, to get to that point? So we envisage that the total investment prior to FID will be around 5 million Australian dollars. Okay, so it's, it's kind of, it maintains that um, project generator uh, feel it's the same same level of uh, spend. What what are you actually? Let me start with who is critical metals? SSAB obviously I think people will know they're they're, they're obviously huge billion billion yeah. dollar industry. But who's critical metals in all of this? So critical metals is an unlisted Australian private uh, public company. Neo Metals is the largest shareholder, owning approximately fifteen point four percent of its issued capital. Critical Metals also holds a license for the Neo Metals lithium battery recycling technology, geographically limited to Scandinavia, so uh, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Denmark. Right, and is this the first time? I mean, you, you, it's it's isolated to those countries. Um, is there scope to go beyond that at some point? I mean, I, do, I want to talk about scale in a second, but while we're talking. Well, at this stage for the lithium battery recycling, we're entertaining going exclusively for the non-licensed jurisdictions with German engineer SMS group. Okay, okay. Well, okay, we'll come back to that another time. Um, so so you, you're talking about recycling high-grade vanadium bearing steel from slag. Can you, again, just in terms of terminology, help people understand what the difference between tailings and slag is? Sure. So uh, in, in the... Uh, steel making process uh, up at uh, SSAB's Lulia and Rahi and Oxalasund 
uh, operations. Okay. They use iron ore and limestone in a, in a in a in their smelting method, and so what is left is an iron-bearing uh, calcium product. After they've tapped off the steel and that goes in for further processing, the slag, so to speak, gets cooled in pits. And then when it's cooled enough, uh, they break it, put it in trucks, take it to another site on the uh, uh, and their plant, uh, crush it, screen it, scalp some of the iron, the discrete iron, and stick that back into the furnace. Uh, the rest gets stockpiled as uh, as what they call uh, LD slag. LD is uh, is the uh, is the steel making process that they use. And what what typically happens with this? I mean, there, there I'm guessing there's going to be other people with other technologies which would process slag, right? Well, look, occasionally these guys sell uh, little bits here and there uh, for road base. But essentially, there's 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 nothing you can do with it. You know what we'll be doing is taking a a uh, an, uh, a material that is stockpiled on these sites, recovering the vanadium, and actually changing its colour from uh, from black uh, to white, and and actually making it safe to store. So, so what's the problem you're solving from for them? Obviously, it's a financial opportunity for you, you know. But you you must be also in terms of remediation, etc. Um, so, look, I, I think it does a number of things. Certainly, it it rem- removes visually uh, a stockpile of black material uh, from sites, and these steel mills are all adjacent to the sea, um, and you know, rendering them in an inert form that is safe for for storage either backfilling old pits or you know uh, other applications um you know you are you are providing a, a remediation service of sorts uh it's obviously highly economic uh to do that in the process that that we have developed okay well let's talk, let's get into the terms then so in terms of what what it is that you've got today and what you think when you when the 50 50 joint venture is in place what are your commitments to that financially what do you think the upside is in terms of um, revenue and where do you think that can go yeah certainly i think if you have a look at the uh the the purchase agreement that we will have after fid um which is a conditional agreement now uh, just to be satisfied essentially by our final investment decision. Um, you know, we would purchase um, the steel slag with the vanadium content. The benchmark grade that we pay is is 3.9% V205, um, which is two to three times higher than any primary producer can make in a concentrate before a similar level of, of processing. Uh, in a in a hydromet circuit, so it has exceptional grade. Um, one, you don't have to build a mine, and you don't have to build a crushing plant or a grinding plant or a magnetic gravity separation plant, or indeed you don't have to build kilns for the traditional salt roast leach process. So in essence, you've stripped more than fifty percent of the capex straight away you don't take the mining risk it's already stockpiled it's been accumulated over 30 years and sampled almost daily so your confidence in the grade uh is is you know almost without precedent 
So you've got a very, very long life supply of a very, very high grade material. And, you know, ceteris paribus, that should lead you to be at the bottom end. And certainly our project strategy is to drive this project to be the lowest cost vanadium production facility in the world. So that, I mean, that gives you, I guess, comfort of whether you're lowest or lowest quartile or even lowest decile. It gives you comfort that you're going to be able to make margin where others can't. Because, but, I mean, vanadium is well known for being highly volatile. It's you know, been in a dip. I think it's recovering at the moment. Um, but it's essential in, the, in you know, rebar. So you know, there's a market for it. Um, so are you at all concerned about the commodity itself or maybe getting into a project with that commodity? No, certainly, certainly not if you are at that point in the cost curve. If you are, you know, anywhere north of uh, the 50th percentile, you know, it is, it is a volatile commodity. I think the only more volatile commodity uh, are fertilizers. But, you know, having the high grade, the long life, uh, and like I said, all things being equal, uh, the lowest, certainly the lowest quartile, if not the lowest. Um, you know, being being a low cost producer and innovating and always driving yourself down in that direction is the only sustainable long run strategy that a miner or developer can have. Okay, and so talk to me about scale then, because if I look at people like Bushveld or Largo, you know, you know, one of the two of the larger vanadium producers in the world, their market cap is phenomenal. But you know, and we've got we've also spoken to a lot of vanadium, well, wannabe vanadium producers who've got kind of lower grade projects, but who just can't get into the market. I mean. What do you think the scale of the opportunity is for you here? What, what, obviously, you've got 2.7 million tons of existing stores. What's the incremental production from these three sites or these three operating steel mills? So, look, currently the contract with SSAB covers 2 million tons of slag, at which we would prepay to start off at the start of that contract 700,000 tons of slag from Lulia. The net additions per annum across the three sites are forecast to be 180,000 tons per annum. Initially, we will have a look at a processing facility that is capable of producing 200,000 tons per annum, sorry, of processing 200,000 tons per annum of slag. Um, you know, if it's got a head grade of just below four and some of the recoveries, you know, I, not that this is a production target, but you know, it will generate uh, less, you know, perhaps somewhere around 5% of the global vanadium supply. Um, you know, currently the vanadium market would be growing by those sorts of percentages. So we don't, and, and certainly at the lower end of the cost curve, you know, we do not expect uh, anyone to negatively respond to our presence. I don't, I mean, how did this deal come about? I mean, how did you find this? So critical metals have been operating in Sweden for 10 years. They have a portfolio of iron ore uh, and base metal assets there. They have some fantastic local talent 
uh, on the board and in its management team. And it was through those relationships that we were presented the opportunity to evaluate uh, these stockpiles. You know, we, we started off with a, with a, uh, a sledgehammer to crack a nut flow sheet, and then we have optimised that into uh, our current patent pending flow sheet that generates uh, um, the low cost, uh, the potential to achieve the lowest cost. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about that because you you got these two clever guys on the screen here, Darren and David. Um, so you talk about sledgehammer to crack a nut, and you've you've simplified it, and simplification means cheaper. So what is it that you've got that other people don't? Why aren't there lots of people doing this? I might throw over to uh, to Dr. Dave Robinson. Dave, uh, uh, we uh, procured his services from uh, the CSIRO, which is the Australian government-owned industrial research organisation. He has a fantastic background in uh, titanium, vanadium, and those sorts of metals. So I might let him comment about, you know, what are the flow sheets that are generally used and why they uh, won't work here. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, so the uh, the traditional routes of treating a, a slag would be most likely, most people would look at a pyrometallurgical option. So putting that material, that slag, back into a furnace and reheating it and uh, trying, to, trying to be more selective about pulling that vanadium out uh, using, a, using a lot of energy. Um, I, my background is, as Chris said, much more hydrometallurgical and so our first, my first thought was uh, to hit this uh, material, which is very alkaline in nature, uh, with an acid, acidic reagent. That is the sledgehammer that Chris referred to. And we can get a very good recovery of vanadium that way. Uh, there's some other downstream issues that, uh, that make it less attractive. And uh, so we, we, we started thinking of a more sophisticated way of approaching it. And actually using an alkaline system that's uh, very selective for vanadium leaching we can get a very nice clean leach solution from that. And as Chris mentioned earlier, making the, in, the slag inherently more stable as well. So you're converting a material that contains quite a lot of reactive lime still into a material that's much more stable, much more environmentally uh, um, responsible for, for dumping or for, for, for putting in a, in a hole. Um, and uh, at the same time, get a very clean leach solution. And we're at the tail end of developing and finalizing that flow sheet uh, but we've got very good recoveries of vanadium from the minor impurities that are there. And we've got a couple of options on that we're finalizing right now in terms of the actual form of the vanadium recovery in terms of the most valuable product and the uh, lowest cost flow sheet that uh, Chris has already mentioned. How long has that process taken? I mean, and, and how much time, money and effort? And, and is it indeed now therefore proprietary to you? Uh, the uh, the sledgehammer was a, a quick, uh, quick development. It was within a month we were ready to put a patent application in place um, and the uh, the more sophisticated and uh, clever flow sheets uh, probably been uh, three or four months more development and we've got that second patent application in place uh, at the moment now as well so all up probably six months with the test work um, and, uh, and and we're at the position we are now yeah and how much more efficient is it in in terms of the uh, the vanadium recovery we're getting we're getting good recoveries so we're getting uh, up in the 80% um, in terms of overall recovery for the flow sheet. Um, it's If you use the, the, the sledgehammer, the acid approach, you can get a higher recovery, but you've got an awful lot more cost involved uh, later on in terms of the recovery. 
sort of by far the most economic approach is the selective leach. Uh, and without disclosing any, any details, um, it's a much more it's a much more environmentally friendly process. It's a highly recyclable lixiviant. So we're not actually getting getting a single passive reagent and then a waste. We're actually recycling that reagent. Uh, so the reagent stays in the system many times in cycles. Uh, so we've got a, we've got a whole lot of uh, benefits in terms of the the nature of the flow sheet that that improve the economics as well as the metallurgy. Okay, and and if I may, just one last question. So, at the end of this process, what is left? I mean, you, you're recovering from a, a from slag. So, what? Yeah, we know what you recover, but what, what's left and what happens to that? Uh, essentially, it's a much more inert uh, material. Uh, contains all of the elements except for the vanadium. We, we do leach a small amount of the iron uh, and a little bit of the silica uh, goes into solution, but very little else. So pretty much all of the all of the calcium containing minerals that were there, most of the silicates, the aluminum minerals, and many of the impurities that remain completely untouched. And, and probably 99% or more of the iron remains untouched as well. Okay. It's worth mentioning too that it's conventional equipment as well. So even yeah. though we've got a patented process, it's using just standard technology. Okay. Yep. Yeah, fair, fair point. Because for those that didn't know, Darren's the engineer. <laughs> Darren's straight in there. Um, yeah. I mean, so, he's so, got to make what Dave. He's got to make what Dave says actually happen. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> no, I mean it's a fair point actually because I mean, that was going to be my next question, which is you know, which always comes about me talk about you know IP and proprietary etc., which is new things frighten bankers because they've maybe not been done before, but you're saying it's kind of conventional technology, but your flow sheet is, works differently. So there's nothing, there's nothing onerous or to be um, concerned about with regards to how you about go and deliver this. Is that, is that right, Darren? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've come up with, um, you know, obviously a novel process in terms of how it fits together, but it is using uh, pieces of conventional technology. So. There's nothing there that's concerning to me in terms of how we may move forward with the uh, buildability of, of flow sheet. And are you able to reduce costs as a result of the new flow sheet, or has that not really been a factor? Yeah, we're still uh, working on our uh, studies at the moment, our cost studies, so they're a work in progress, but uh, early indications are that the flow sheet will give us some definite operating and capital cost advantages. Okay. And Chris, question for you. So then you're left with this inner pile. You own it now, don't you? Correct. So what happens to it? We will take ownership uh, of those residues. Uh, they are largely uh, calcium and iron bearing residue uh, that is able to be either safely disposed of or reinserted back into the front end of the steel making process from whence it came. Okay. Okay. So th this this really, I mean, you mentioned it there a second ago. This is I'm trying to understand the the, the green credentials here because again, coming back to my point over earlier, yeah. people tell us. So I think I think you know you're operating up in Scandinavia, uh, and so the environmental considerations. So we had the the sledgehammer approach, and then we thought, well, you know, it, that works, uh, is attractive, will deliver what we want, but you know, we are in. Uh, a very pretty part of the world. We are adjacent to 
the ports and towns. You know, these towns have grown up around the steel mills uh, and they've got ports there. Um, and so we took care really to make, have a look at having the lowest environmental footprint. So whether that's from a CO2 point of view, uh, you know, using hydropower, um, the, the change in the medium that we dissolve the residue, uh, the slag into, was really driven by the end products that come out the back end to make them, so you, you don't want to put in a process so that the sledgehammer actually created a higher volume of waste than we processed to start off with because you're try, changing it from a metallic form into an oxide form. Uh, so, uh, or indeed a sulfate form. So what we tried to make sure we were conscious that we wanted to have, um, a product that was inert, that we are recycling as much as we can, the least amount of materials that we bring into the site and take out of the site, the better, um, green power, um, you know, in, in time we'll, we will make, uh, you know, known a few more of the uh, the subtle other benefits that this process has, but you know we're not looking at discharging. You know we have a negative water balance, i.e., we are not discharging any liquid tailings into the environment that needs storage or subsequent treatment. You know, and uh, and likewise with with noxious uh, gas or airborne emissions, that sort of stuff. So, you know, we've truly put our minds around this, well, that way, the sustainable future bit. Yeah, okay. I mean, th thanks for that. And I mean, it's, it's kind of worth bearing in mind um, that that's got to be a big part of your message here because you're talking about with, with other, you know, you talk about the battery recycling project that you've got going on here and, you know, this project ESG, you know, you, you've really truly got to deliver that. Um, so I'd be interested in you know, learning more about how you're going about that as and when you're, you know, you're able to release that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, rather than, rather than just saying we're embracing the, you know, ESG reporting or whatever, I mean, we're actually walking the talk. We are changing our business, changing the, uh, you know, we've pivoted away from the more carbon intensive upstream uh, element of the supply chain to recycling before and, and to get the recycling right before we ultimately develop uh, any any more upstream or downstream resources. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a model we actually took off of Johnson Matthew. You know, they, they don't enter into a new commodity unless they can actually recycle that product. If you can do that, then you can work as far upstream as you like. Um, that's interesting. We've, we've had a lot. We've had a lot of um, requests to you know talk to um, a bit more corporate, socially you know socially responsible uh, companies. So we've we've talked to a lot of tailings companies. We were fascinated by your sort of you know segue from mining into this space and seeing if it can be delivered. We, you know we've spoken with the you know World Gold Council about you know what their expectations for companies are in terms of you know autom automated battery you know and battery. Um, uh, vehicles within mining, etc. So th this is this is fascinating. Yeah. And do you think it is it makes economic sense to do this, or is this just about being socially responsible? That is uh, obviously we are a listed company. We are here for our shareholders' benefit. I I don't think they're mutually exclusive. 
certainly that we are targeting, uh, like I say, the thematics, the commodities, and then we are picking our position in those supply chains a little smarter than once we would have, where we just would have bashed on with a more capital intense, lower margin, higher risk upstream mining operation, because, you know, traditionally uh, Australia has been a bit of a quarry for the world's building blocks for the modern industrial world. Yeah. And and we can't finish a conversation without talking about COVID-19. Obviously, you guys are working at home at the moment, but you do have guys in the lab. Um, I say I understand it from Darren, still beavering away. Is is that impacting your ability to get this um, agreement over the line uh, sooner? Look, I, I, I would have actually said it may have been the uh, the straw that got it over the line, uh, that, you know, we had given them this contract there that, you know, we've got an exclusivity period, we've paid for that exclusivity period, uh, securing 27 months to get to an FID to monetize this for them. They've been sitting there stockpiling this for 30 years. So we're actually going to turn it into money for them. In terms of the COVID um uh, impact on us. I mean, we sold out of our upstream operation. We've got a lot of cash. We've been doing quite a lot of uh, evalu- well, quite a lot of metallurgical test work across our, our core projects. They're now moving into the engineering stages. Uh, we've finished a lot of exploration at Christmas. We've now been compiling the results, planning our next moves uh, for those projects. So, I mean, we're not wasting the opportunity. And and look, you know, we we. We're a very strong company in terms of our balance sheet, uh, our, our human and our financial resources generally from the board all the way down to the receptionist. Um, and and so we will pretty much move seamlessly uh, through the evaluation stages. Um, you know, I understand in Australia, they're doing a pretty good job of, of getting on, on, on top of this early. I mean, it should come as no surprise. We are the most isolated country in the world with the lowest population density. So I wouldn't put that down to, I mean, it's some good moves from the government, but it should be no taken as no way to try to say, we're not boasting about that. It's more a, a geographical uh, anomaly is. So we can, we can and, and the mining industry here is an essential services and the government, uh, you know, is allowing those to operate because ordinarily we have probably the highest operating uh, safety and health systems in the world. Uh, and so the addition of, of, of pre-testing, constant testing, social isolation, uh, self-isolation and social distancing, when you're flying in and flying out of a remote work site, you're almost doing that anyway. So for us, we're fortunate that I can see no material disruption. Some of the timelines and some of the milestones might move around a little bit. Uh, certainly, there could be disruptions in terms of you know the, the global macro basis, but to get to FIDs, we are in you know we have multiple years of surplus cash flow. In fact, as a sign of our strength, we accelerated the consideration of, of a dividend that we've done annually for the last four years. We bought it forward by a month because we are in such good financial position. We've got more than eighty million dollars in available cash after the dividend. Uh, we have no debt, uh, and so we can execute our plans to take all four projects through to final investment decisions without having any regard to uh, our underlying balance sheet. So, uh, look, 
it's not lost on us. We are fortunate. And uh, for everyone, you know, who's not so fortunate, you know, we, we, we do understand and feel for them. Okay. Um, no, appreciate that background. Can, I do need to try and understand, though, the, you know, where this is going. So JV happens, you start processing. Are you selling into Chinese rebar market or are you going to be part of the European ecosystem? And where's the, where's the, yeah, look, where's this going? certainly these, these, the industrial minerals and the advanced materials attracted us because you don't have the financial investors, right? So they truly are price value in use. And what we're seeing across a lot of these commodities is a real bifurcation. In lithium, we saw China v the rest of the world. If you have a look at vanadium that uh, is essential in producing high strength, low alloy steels, titanium vanadium alloys for aerospace, it's non-substitutable. Uh, and it's increasingly becoming uh, prevalent in energy storage, these VRB batteries. You know, the electrolyte in the batteries, 50% of the cost of the battery is vanadium. It, you can't call it a vanadium redox flow battery without the vanadium. So demand's growing. And so what we're seeing is, you know, about 80% of the world's vanadium coming out of China and Russia. And, and so when you have a look at... Uh, you know, aircraft airframes that are 18 to 20% now in the new generation's vanadium titanium alloy. Now, that the, the, the vanadium, the master alloys, either come from, you know, Bolong in China or VSMPO in Russia. So you've got Boeing and Airbus that are entirely reliant on, I'll say, non-free market sources. So, you know, um, for us, we would obviously look at geographically delivering into Europe and North America as those key markets if you're operating up in Scandinavia. So, and, and are the Europeans pleased to see these sorts of th- things, these sorts of operations, these joint ventures? Because well, I mean, we, you know, we, we, look, talk to, you, we talk to companies who are, you know, trying to tap into these big EU subsidies to kind of get things going. I guess you guys don't have that problem, but have you had conversations? Are they, do they, are they interested in what you're doing? Oh, look, you know, we have we've had obviously keen interest not only because we've we we do have the world's second highest grade hard rock titanium vanadium asset in Barambi. We 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 speak with most of the big players reasonably regularly. Uh, certainly, for I, I know in Germany, if you're importing vanadium into the steel industry, there you know they have an import finance scheme as well as an export finance scheme which is generally the UFK or the German government guaranteed schemes. If you are doing import financing, you essentially take your production times a long-term price times the duration of the contract and divide that by four. And that's the amount that you can uh, look to procure uh, from you know, German commercial banks with a German government back guarantee. So, you know, security of supply for essential materials into, you know, one or more. I mean, we haven't explored, obviously, our relationship with SMS. We have explored uh, import and export financing. Uh, we, we seem to think that the import financing happens a little quicker than the export financing. Um, and, and so, yes, there are um, pools of money from a strategic point of view, you know, green funds, circular economy. Uh, ESG, this will tick all the boxes. Okay, thanks, thanks, Chris. So, I, just to kind of sum up, because what I've heard is high grade, highest grade. You're telling me 
l- lowest cost, no Potential. no capex or relatively low capex compared to mining. You've got the and and removal of mining risk. And mar- you know? I mean that's where a lot of miners have got them, got it wrong that you stick so much money in the upstream mine and because you're always getting pressured to to do these things quick okay. you know there's there's some people take you know unacceptable risks or they could have taken longer or with more money but you know that's dilutionary stuff so removal of risk okay removal of risk um, got the ES, ESG component you're telling me you're part of that absolutely. kind of circular um, network within Europe and you think that you can get that funded from any funding with you and your partner can happen th- from Europe. That's what I'm hearing. Am I missing yeah, look, anything? I, I, no, absolutely. Look, we we are we are genuinely uh, stoked with this opportunity. You know, we have 27 months to get through to an FID. Um, I cannot see any fatal flaws at this stage and and hence why I've been able to procure the board to, to authorize the staged expenditure uh, of 5 million, you know, I, I haven't been so excited for a project uh, since I bought Mount Marion. I bet. Well, like I'm um, Chris, I appreciate and, and, and Darren and David, thank you very much for today, get, get, giving us that uh, update on that agreement. And it sounds like exciting times. I'm genuinely really excited by the approach for, with companies like yourself um, and tackling how they're tackling this battery revolution, how they're getting involved and where they're inserting themselves. And you seem to be very focused on the making money bit, which is great, and delivering in a responsible way. Um, I, was, I was really pleased to um, you know, talk with you about the battery cycling component, but this one sounds even better. Yeah, well, you don't you. have to worry about going out and procuring the supply. Yeah, no, well done, you know, well and, done. In terms of, you know, like battery recycling, you're trying to pull out uh, physically copper and aluminium, graphite, plastics, and then you're trying to sequentially drop out the leftover cobalt, aluminium and iron waste. Then you're trying to get out cobalt sulfate, nickel sulfate, manganese sulfate, lithium sulfate, recycle, you know, your tailing stream. I mean, it is unscrambling an egg. This is literally just cracking an egg and cooking it properly. There you go. And making sure you don't burn the toast. (laughs) Looks looks like you've got a a couple of eggs on the plate, Um, both very good. Um, I wish you well. Stay in touch, please, and let us know how you're getting on because obviously you you guys seem to be quite fast moving and and, and you've got a few projects in the portfolio, I know. So um, give us a call. We're grateful for the time. You keep well. Everyone, keep safe. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.